0: Matthew chapter 11 verses 25 to 30 at that time Jesus said I praise you father Lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children yes father for this is what you were pleased to do all things have been committed to me by my father no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light.
1: Well, this morning I want to talk about a subject, as has been mentioned already, that affects every single one of us. If we are human, if we are breathing, if there is blood pumping through our veins, then at some point, at some time, somewhere, at some stage, we will be anxious. We will be worried. We will be disturbed. We will be stressed. Hands up um, if you are stressed this morning. Yeah, a few folk, uh, hands up if you're worried this morning. Okay, more of you put your hands up at the start of the service, so I mean, I know it's been good the previous 50 minutes, but I'm not confident that all the worry in the room has completely disappeared. Hands up if you are worried about something that's happening this week. That's me, yeah, okay. And maybe something in the next month. Okay, hands up if you're stressed about something that may or may not happen in the next six months. Okay, yeah, we just don't know. Hands up, we stressed about the American election. Yeah, all hands go up for that. Yes, okay. Hands up, if we were to open this box that Libby got to us to do this morning and you were to let out um, the worry that you identified as a small child, Libby, and years of therapy have, have healed you of that, um, what would you be worried about? Hands up, if the person sitting next to you is the one who is stressing you, out. Um, Let's just be honest. Okay, hands up if the person who is sitting next to you who's just identified you as the one you are stressing uh, is also stressing you. Okay, okay. denial is not just a river in Egypt, okay? Um, You're denying that. Um, But the fact is that all of us as human beings are worried. All of us get anxious, all of us worry about stuff, and it affects us, um, and it affects us in different ways. If I wonder if I can have a, a, a volunteer. A volunteer, anybody who's, where, where, you, Stephen, come, i be involved. you see, Stephen is, uh, Stephen is, uh, by day, his day job is a school teacher, uh, he is our, our, our uh, keyboard player, and uh, he, he, is, he is a human being, and he, he, is, he is programmed to respond in different ways. You see? Now he's looking at me as I've got three heads, thinking, what the bunkum is going on here? Now what was happening in Stephen, if he was normal and human, um, was that at some stage, deep inside him, he would have taken a step back from me. But because he knows me too well, and trusts me, and is my next door but one neighbour, he feels safe in my comfort and presence. But what happened? Is, is your heart just beating a bit faster? A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> yes, okay. Okay, thanks. Let's give him a round of applause, shall we? Um, I saw that done this summer, and uh, it was hearing a talk by a guy called Henry Cloud, who's a psychologist, and reading his book, The Power of the Other, um, that I found really helpful this summer. And one of the things that Henry Cloud demonstrated in that action uh, with a person who is a bit more responsive than you, um, because they were alive, um, is this woman just stepped back and her hands went up immediately. Now, what's happening physiologically is that we are being prepared for either fight or flight. Our hearts beat faster, blood pressure increases, chemicals are released in your brain in the next half an hour. They will be released in your brain. Your, your, your palms start to sweat because your body is getting ready to do something. Adrenaline uh, flows through. Cortisol is released. Now, I am not a psychologist. I am married to a psychologist. And I know, therefore, that I am not a psychologist because I am reminded often that I'm not a psychologist. And particularly when I announce that I'm speaking on a subject like anxiety, I'm reminded that I am definitely not a psychologist. But what Henry Cloud did was he, he just took us through some very simple ways in which we recognize the ways in which as human beings and as Christians, we can respond to worry and to anxiety. He said most of us live in, in, in two realms. So the, there's the physical realm that we live in. Now God is spirit and he exists in eternity, but he became flesh and blood and he made us as creatures to be physical beings. So we have flesh and blood bodies, and these things are really important. Sometimes Christians give the impression that all that matters is is the spiritual so-called. That's not not a biblical ideal. That's actually a Greek idea. It's platonic, that this flesh and blood stuff doesn't matter. According to The Bible, actually, flesh and blood stuff does matter. Jesus became incarnate. He became flesh and blood. This stuff does matter. When uh, there's the new heaven and the new earth, we will be given new bodies. We won't exist in some sort of ethereal, ghost-like form. We will have a new body, thank goodness. And we will be transformed and renewed, and our bodies will be amazing. Um, So this stuff matters. But there's also a different realm, if you like, of existence. There's the mental or the emotional realm. And that's where we react to different things that happen around us. And we get stressed or anxious about different things. So it might be this morning that you're stressed not just by the person who's sitting next to you, not just by your spouse, but it might be a job interview that you've got coming up this week. It might be a health interview diagnosis that is coming up this week. It might be a teenage child who is giving you grief. It might be a parent who is causing you difficulty. Um, there was a wonderful moment at the 9 o'clock service when I asked people to identify what was giving them stress. Uh, a parent in the back row just held up their toddler. LAUGHTER <laughs> It's quite brave, and probably that child will require years of therapy to recover. Um, but he just—he he just went. Yep, this is him. He's just stressing me out. Now we all react in different ways because we were reacting to what Henry Cloud calls the other, and the other can be different things for us at different times. So, as I say, it might be a person. It might be a teacher, it might be a boss, it might be a friend, it might be a spouse. But it could also be a fear, it could be an unknown, it could be a situation, it could be a relationship. But what happens is that we react to that other. And if we're honest, most of us react in different ways because of two things. We react perhaps because we... um, Well, we want to control that situation. We want to control that other. So we want that boss who's cranky to change. We want that teenage child who's really winding us up to change. We want that health diagnosis to be different. We want whatever that meeting that we're going to and feeling anxious about to be different, and we try to control the other. Sometimes it can be that we're anxious because of projections or transferences that are put upon us, other people's ideals, and we feel perhaps that we're not good enough or nice enough or smart enough or clever enough. So I can think of a situation I'm facing this week, a meeting that I'm anxious about, Because I don't know who's going to be in that meeting. And I don't know how that meeting is going to go. And because I'm not chairing that meeting, I've got no control over that meeting. And so that has just evoked within me some feelings of anxiety. What's going to happen in that meeting? Who's going to say what to me in that meeting? What are other people going to think about me in that meeting? So we want to control, or we want to change, that other, that person, that situation, that relationship, that meeting, that health diagnosis, whatever it is that is causing us to feel anxious this morning. But the reality is that the only thing that we can change is us. We want the other person to change. We want the situation to change. We want that cranky boss or that teenage child or that parent or whatever situation it is that you are feeling anxious about this morning. We want that to change. But the reality is that the only person that we can change and the only person actually that we can control is us. Now, if you think about it, it's the oldest lie in the book, literally. The devil came to Adam and Eve and said, you can be God, i.e. you can control things. You can change things. You can change other people. You can control situations. You can control the world around you. You can be God. It's the oldest lie in the book. And what Henry Cloud taught in this talk and throughout his book, is are there ways in which, as Christians, when we start to feel those symptoms of anxiety or stress, that we can use them as triggers to hand over control to God, to hand over control to Jesus, and to recognize that we aren't in control of the world And we cannot change that person or that situation because, if we're honest, we find it very hard controlling and changing ourselves. And yet what God wants is for us to change. What God wants is a new version of us. That's why God's Spirit works in us day by day day to transform us, to renew us, so that the image of Christ is being formed more fully In us so what God is offering to us is not the ability to change other people or to change situations or to change the world around us but actually allow him to change us to change our attitude to change our reactions to change our responses, to change our thought processes in the way in which we think about those moments and resolve to know God's peace and hope in that situation, in that relationship, because the only person that we can change or control is us. If you think back to that reading that Joy read for us a few moments ago, if you've got Matthew chapter 11 open, either on your Bible app, on your smartphone or in the Bible, um, Jesus has been teaching how different the kingdom of God is and what lives lived under his rule, under his reign, under his authority will look like. And he shows how different it is to the world around the people that he was teaching, but also the world that you and I live in as well. So first he gives us the means of entering the kingdom. Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. So what Jesus is saying is to enter the kingdom of God and to live life in the kingdom of God as a Christ follower, how we enter the kingdom of God is different from the world's standards and expectations. This is the second time that Jesus said to his followers, you must become like children. Now, what does it mean, in the best sense, to become like a child? Well, think about what children are like. Children are teachable. Children are simple, not simplistic, but they see things simply and straightforwardly. Children are incredibly trusting, and children can be relentlessly inquisitive. What would it look like for you and for I to live lives that were trusting, relentlessly inquisitive, where we demonstrated that we were teachable and constantly learning and seeing things, not simplistically, but simply? Jesus says you must become like a child. Become child-like. Not child-ish. That's very different. Child-ish is somebody stamping their feet because they don't get their way. That's what it means to be child-ish. Jesus says, be child-like. Simple, trusting, inquisitive, teachable, open. Sometimes ready to recognize their limits, ready to trust, and ready to grow. And it's difficult for us in 21st century Scotland to appreciate how different and how revolutionary Jesus saying you must become like children was to the people that he was speaking to. In Jewish culture, in Greek culture, in Roman culture, children were nothing. They weren't seen and heard. They were simply ignored. They were the property of the father. If the father took one look at the baby that had just been born and didn't like the look of it, under Roman law and Greek law, the father could take the baby out of this, outside of the city walls and just leave it on the hills to die because a child was insignificant. A child didn't matter. And yet, here's Jesus saying, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, I want you to become like a child. In Greek culture, in Roman culture, and in Jewish culture in particular, wisdom was equated with age. Judaism and Greek and Roman cultures both put a premium on learning and understanding. Wisdom was linked to being spiritual. So if you were to grow in the wisdom of God, according to Judaism, or if you were to become close to the divine in Greek or Roman culture, that was a bit like becoming a brain surgeon in today's society. It was equated with lots of learning. It was equated with getting a doctorate. It was equated with robes and academia. It was equated with a spiritual elite who were wise and old and wore robes. And whose who study of the divine over decades had, had qualified them as, as some sort of wise spiritual elite. A bit like Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. And yet what Jesus is saying here is, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, I don't want you to become like a professor, I want you to become like a child. It was revolutionary, totally different. Do you know that children laugh an average of 150 times a day? The average adult laughs six times a day. See the difference between being a child and being an adult? Maybe for some of us, that's a simple word this morning that we should be more like a child and we should laugh more and tell our faces. The average adult, six times a day. The average child, 150 times. Become like a child, Jesus says. Secondly, Jesus reveals the nature of God himself. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and the Son are uniquely revealed. Jesus said, if you want to know what God is like, then simply look at me, his Son. The Father has told things uniquely to the Son, and the Son reveals the Father uniquely. There is a family resemblance between the Father and the Son. As a dad of three children, it is scary how often my own character traits are reproduced in my kids. I try and deny it. Um, Nathan, our our middle child, uh, Kathy says he's he's just like me. I say, no, 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 he's me times 100. And Kathy looks at me and goes, no, Dave, he's just like you. (laughs) And that's frightening. If you see my three kids, there is no doubt as to who they belong to. Their eyebrows give them away. (laughs) The family resemblance is there very clearly. Iona, is, is, she's okay with the eyelashes, but the eyebrows, not so much. But there's a family resemblance. Jesus here is saying the Father and the Son are uniquely related. If you want to know what the Father is like, look at the Son. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then thirdly and finally, Jesus offers a yoke Of love and mercy there's some of the most famous well-known words that Jesus said come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light the words that have have resonated over the last 2,000 years Now we find it a bit more challenging to identify with it because not many of us use a yoke every day. Not the egg yoke, but an oxen yoke. But to the people that Jesus was speaking to, they were everyday objects. They would have seen them in the fields every day. A yoke was what was used to, to, to tie together two oxen so they could drag a plow along. And they were everywhere. Jesus himself, as a carpenter, would have shaped and sanded and fashioned loads of yokes in his father's workshop. He'd have worked on them with a, with a plane and a lathe and, and shaped a yoke. So Jesus here is using a picture that was very familiar to his first century listeners. It was an everyday object. But it was also familiar to them, it resonated with them, because in Judaism there was a saying about being yoked to the Jewish law. At a bar mitzvah, the equivalent of what we're going to do tonight at the seven o'clock service when there's a baptism and affirmation service and six people will declare publicly their faith in in Jesus and they will will make a loyal commitment to Jesus. They will declare their faith in Jesus. At a bar mitzvah, a Jewish boy makes a loyal commitment to Judaism. And the way in which they describe it is they describe themselves as being yoked to the Jewish law. So the people that Jesus was talking to were very familiar with this picture of being yoked. But Jesus says that the yoke that he offers is a different type of yoke, one that is easy and whose burden is light. And that would have been very appealing to Jews who were exhausted by trying to keep the law. And constantly failing. It would have been very appealing to Greeks who were tired of seeking and searching for wisdom. And I think that that's why it's resonated down the centuries, because it appeals even today, perhaps especially today, because the reality is that all of us in our culture, in our society, have got different yokes. They're very different yokes to the yokes of the first century. They might be the yokes of materialism. You've got to accumulate more stuff. It might be the yoke of success. You've got to get better and better and better, and you will never be good enough. If we're honest, there are religious yokes that are heavy and that grind people down. And they make people feel incredibly guilty. There's a Catholic yoke. There's a Presbyterian yoke. There's an Episcopal Anglican yoke. There's a charismatic yoke. And there's a Reformed yoke. And these yokes of religion just weigh on people because they try and they try and they try to be so good. And maybe there are people here this morning and you've, you've got one of these yokes just sitting on your shoulders. And it might be the yoke of materialism. It might be the yoke of success. But it might be one of those religious yokes that's been put upon you. And it's left you feeling guilty. It's left you feeling heavy. It's left you feeling exhausted. And it's left you feeling resentful. That's how, you know, I picture oxen in a yoke. You know, I've never seen that. I can't imagine an oxen going, Oh, good, a yoke. Another day in the field. Just let me at it. But it's heavy work. Jesus says, My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. It was Bill Hybels who said, There's a difference between religion and Christianity. Christianity. And it's in the way in which the two are spelt. Religion is spelt D-O, do. Do this, do this, do this. Pray more, read the Bible more, go to church more, go to the temple, go to the mosque, go on pilgrimage, whatever it is, do, 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 do. Christianity is spelt very differently. It's spelt D-O-N-E, done. God has already done it in the person of Jesus. There's nothing that we can do that will make God love us more. He has simply demonstrated it on the cross. It's done. And that's why the yoke that Jesus offers is easy and his burden is light. And how do we get that yoke? We take it by being like little children, recognizing that Jesus is the reflection of the Father and recognizing that through the yoke that Jesus offers, we can receive as a gift God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, and for those times when we're anxious and worried and stressed, God's peace, God's joy, God's strength, God's love, and the perspective that God is in control that God is able to bring about change but it may well be that the person that he wants to begin with is me and you and that rather than spending a lot of time praying Lord please change my boss or please change my children or please change my work or please change that health diagnosis Or please change whatever, whatever, whatever we would want to put in this box. That God simply says to us this morning, I want you to open the box. And I want you to bring whatever is in the box to me. And I want you to ask me to give you my Strength, my peace, my hope, my love, my joy, my perspective. And the recognition, God says, that I am in control. And as you think about me, and as you bring it before me, as Libby reminded us from Philippians, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, not denying that the thing exists. It is not simplistic, I deny it. This is a recognition. It's opening the box, bringing it to God and saying, Lord, will you help me with this thing? Will you help me with this other? Because I recognize that you're the only one who is in control. And I recognize that you're the only one who can change me. And you're the only one who can give me peace and power and love and hope to cope with what is ever in the box.